0: Hello and welcome to The Change Troubleshooter, this is Nina Dars' podcast. Welcome to Season 2 of The Change Troubleshooter. This season is all about sustainability. In today's episode, How to Achieve a Sustainable Digital Thread, Nina is joined by Ross Cadens, Business Development Director of Siemens Digital Industries Software. Using his wealth of knowledge and experience of Siemens software solutions, Ross helps clients to improve innovation and accelerate product delivery. He also works on innovation projects for the UK Catapults Network and helps academia in ensuring talent is digital ready when they enter the workforce.
1: Welcome to season two of our podcast where the theme is all about sustainability. And today I have Ross Cadden's with me. Business Development Director from Siemens. Hi, Ross.
2: Hi, Nina. Thanks for having me.
1: Pleasure. And we're going to talk about how to achieve a sustainable digital thread today. Looking forward to it. So we're going to start with this more thoughtful um, note from Michael Porter, who gets us just to remember that businesses have got to reconnect company success with social progress. And of course, that's well talked about today. It's where I think everybody is in their mindset, even if they haven't got to the point where they're delivering that in the way they want to yet. So here we're talking about not philanthropy, but sustainability in a way that achieves economic success And I'm sure everybody here will be pleased to hear that because that is what we know will be sustainable, not just for the Earth's resources, but for companies. And boy, do we need that at the moment. We're hoping that this doesn't become a marginal discussion. We're hoping that what these discussions actually tell us is how businesses are going to run. It's not about having a sustainability strategy and a business strategy, we're thinking that this is the new way that businesses will run and this will give rise to the next major transformation of business thinking. And I should have said, for those of you who had just listening on the podcast, there is a slide deck that goes alongside this podcast today, which will be shared in the podcast notes, but hopefully um, Both Ross and I will talk enough that you will be able to follow it in your minds if you can't see it in front of you now. So, what do you think of that, Ross? What Michael Porter saying here?
2: Yeah, sustainability is obviously key. A lot of people talking about it, but I think there's many different facets to it, isn't there? There's obviously sustainability of the products that are being supplied, but one of the things that might be quite interesting to discuss later is around the the skills and so on. A sustainable organisation bringing through new talent, thinking about what your organization itself is gonna be like in the future and making sure that's sustainable, that it can adapt and and grow with and adapt with the times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There are so many strands to this, which nicely takes us on to our next slide, That it's all about systems thinking. This is not one thing, as we've already said, We're not talking today about the need to have a sustainability strategy. We're talking about the fact that sustainability should just be within normal business operations. And when you think about it in that way, it's a systems approach. And on the slide here, we've got two dots and a line that goes from dot A to dot B, and then another visual that shows many dots in lots of different places with many lines. And really, although that looks chaotic, it is just the reality of business today, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Things uh, don't go left to right quite as that left-hand picture describes. To much more complicated than that, and uh, many more organisations within, you know, departments within organisations collaborating and uh, extended supply chains and so on as well. And you know, it's never quite as simple as designing a, a product or manufacturing a product sequentially. The the the, uh, the continual dialogue and the Circular nature of that is key.
1: Yeah and that's it we um, maybe have heard a lot about moving from a linear to a circular approach and I did think about putting a circle on this slide but actually the circular approach is more about closed loop thinking and making sure that we are taking accountability and responsibility for everything within a life cycle that still sits within systems thinking, doesn't it? It's just because we're not showing it as a a circle here, it is a bit more um, realistic (laughs) as to what people will recognise in their businesses. Lots of points of interconnectivity, going forwards, backwards, circular, going to the side in different directions. And when we're talking about being sustainable, again both for a business perspective and with the world's resources we're talking about capturing where all these interactions take place aren't we
2: Yeah, and understanding the relationships between them all as well and and why certain decisions have been made earlier on in the process and what the the impact of that was and being able to review it and audit it and and understand what we did and why we did it is becoming increasingly important, I think, with regulation and so on. And uh, without some sort of systems-based approach, we really haven't got a chance.
1: Which takes us onto your great slide, (laughs) the explosion of complexity. Love that.
2: Yeah, and I suppose if you go back a few years, you know people thought it was complex when we're having to look at you know managing quality and cost and, and so on. But I think in recent years some of these uh, buzzwords have come to the fore more and more people needing to de- de- develop smart and connected products. but you know in the context of this discussion, personalization and, and sustainability are key. We have uh, many of our customers starting to ask us about how they can deliver their products. In a personalized way rather than filling warehouses full of product and and hoping that's what people want to buy. Consumers are a bit more discerning nowadays maybe and and want something that's a bit more tailored to uh, what they do and you know for example ourselves you know Siemens is a a manufacturer we've got 200 plants around the world one of them uh, being in in the UK here in Congleton and, and they have really addressed this personalization challenge. They, they provide a small electronic motor control devices, Well, sometimes they're even large electronic control devices, but you know they used to provide these products with a handful of variations, send them to a warehouse in Germany and they were distributed around the world from there. But the, the recent set of products, they got something like 40,000 permutations that are available of that product. You can't fill a warehouse full of forty thousand different permutations and hope people are going to buy them so they, they really needed to rethink the way that they produce these components so they now build to order rather than build to stock also customers don't want to wait six weeks eight weeks whatever it is for a product to be delivered so they really needed to think about how they could build a product specific to an order very quickly and, and deliver that in a, in a handful of days um, rather than, uh, than waiting months so that that required the use of a lot of digital twin tools and digital thinking around how they would connect with the supply chain and, and deliver those, those products. So personalization is something that's happening across the board.
1: And, and in, that, in that example, did that make that plant more efficient?
2: Well, in fact, it's probably one of the, the factors that contributes to some of these plants even staying open. So it's not even just about uh, efficiency. It's about survival in many ways. All these Siemens plants need to compete with each other for efficiency. And uh, you know the, the work that was done in the UK could easily have been done elsewhere. So you know, I think it is pretty fundamental to the future of some of these businesses that they adapt to that, that changing customer demand and yeah the Congleton uh, plant has has done exactly that
1: fabulous so this is a a take on what that sustainable digital threat could look like and on one side we've got the ESG reporting the environmental social and governance reporting that is becoming much more important and many more organizations doing this and a lot uh, many elements of this becoming statutory requirements And then how that's linked to the UN sustainable development goals, which don't just focus on climate change. I know that climate gets a lot of airtime, but the area of sustainability is very wide ranging. And again, within the 17 goals that the UN have, have put out, it really covers the way that we live life and the way that business interacts with the world. So it's everything there um, from poverty, people, um, you know, not discriminating, looking after our waters, and then the things that we hear more often about climate. And businesses now have to really look at how they're building all of that into their business strategy. And then under the magnifying glass here, we've got the elements that You and I, Ross, are probably more familiar with, which comes down to actually coming up with the problem statement in the business. Why, you know, what problem is the business trying to solve in the world and how is it trying to do that? And then doing that through a sustainable design process, which we know many organizations are already trying to do, but trying to make that easier for them to do it, probably by accelerating things like lifecycle analysis that um, gives decisions in a way that helps with the multiple trade-offs that have to happen in these situations. And then, of course, being accountable for the whole supply chain, a much-talked-about area generally now where I think it's even, you know, we keep being reminded in the UK we're not an industrial nation anymore. We actually outsource a lot of that And that doesn't mean that we can outsource the responsibility. You know, we have to look at the whole supply chain and recognise that we are moving our footprint to another place in the world, and that's still our responsibility. And reporting and governance, as we mentioned, um, will become a a more stringent and more comprehensive uh, area that business has to uh, cope with. And alongside that, of course, you've got this growing external recognition that's got to come, you know, more and more people, much more aware, much more um, educated, know where they want their money to be spent, know how they want companies to be operating. So that external recognition, much more important. And of course, the internal support, how these projects get financed, how that becomes part of the ongoing growth of the business. Fundamental. So when you see it like that, Ross, does that make sense to you?
2: It does, and I think one of the key words there is that life cycle piece. That the analysis. So you really got to be thinking about some of these goals very early on in the process. You can't, you know, design or deliver a bad product and, and then somehow retrospectively make it sustainable. You know, you've really got to be thinking about that. Whole life cycle, right from the start, the specifications and the targets, and so on, are key. So I like the magnifying glass uh, graphic there because I think that having a focus on on those areas is is absolutely key. But you know, interesting what you're saying about the external recognition as well, with with uh, Twitter and and so on. Any mistakes that are made by organisations uh, can be very quickly uh, highlighted all around the world, and the reputational damage of that can be. Uh, Quite significant.
1: This is so important now, isn't it? And and adds uh, much more complexity to what were never simple situations in the first place. But complexity for the right reasons, and also complexity that if we get it right, can lead to real competitive advantage. And that's what you found from a Siemens perspective, isn't it?
2: Yeah, these are the the, uh, the sort of three areas that we think help bring a, a competitive advantage to our, our customers. And uh, everybody will, no doubt, have heard about the, the digital twin. But, uh, you know, from our, our perspective, the key word in, in that top one there is the comprehensive. You know, we need to think about everything, design of the uh, the product, the, the quality, the cost, but also some of those sustainability KPIs that that we just mentioned. And, you know, the comprehensive digital twin is a way to capture all all that and and make sure that that does flow through that development lifecycle that we we just talked about. And, uh, you know, I mentioned some of the the examples about personalization as well. This is personalization of of the end product itself, but also personalizing the way that you deploy solutions like ours, whether it's in the cloud or um, on-premise or SaaS or, or, or whatever it may be. And um, you know, finally, we, we talk about our openness as well. So you know, when we talk a, a little bit later on about some of the solutions, it's, it's not uh, seams only that we're dealing with here. We want to be as uh, integrated with other applications and, and solutions as possible to make sure that that digital thread that you mentioned is, is maintained so that we do have that traceability of what we've done and why we've done it and, and what the impact was on the uh, sustainability and so on of the end product.
1: So for those people who might not have ever heard of a digital swim, what is the competitive advantage that comes from that? And I'm going to I'll move on because you might want to talk about it around this slide. Yes,
2: I will. So, yeah, comprehensive, really, because it spans the whole life cycle. So the first piece in, in green there is the digital twin of, of the product and uh, the graphic shows a, a 3D model there. But actually, as products get smarter, more and more um, electronic devices and so on within each of these products, it's more about the electronics and the software and everything that goes up to build whatever the product is. And, and more and more, you, know, you see products being delivered with complementary apps and so on. Uh, you know, IOT-type devices that can uh, report on on how they're performing. So all that needs to be thought about earlier on, the product that you're delivering, uh, what are the sort of ecosystem of uh, apps and utilities and things that may be available with that? So the digital twin of the product is not really just that 3D piece that you see in the picture. It is everything that goes to make up, in that case, an aircraft or a vehicle, you know, uh, vehicles now 70 Uh, ECU's control units uh, on each of these, all of those with printed circuit boards and connectors and wire harnesses and software loaded on. Very complicated um, set of information that you need to understand really, because that is the full definition of the product that you're going to build.
1: In that, when you're doing all of that, is that where the lifecycle analysis work would start?
2: It would have to, yeah. So the, the, the specification piece there, is critical. You've really got to be thinking very early on about uh, if you're going to take a systems approach, systems engineering, or what we might call model-based systems engineering, getting all that understood very early on so that that cascades down through the various disciplines in the organisation, be it mechanical, electrical, software, manufacturing, service, sustainability, cost, cost, uh, all, all sorts of different domains need to know what the specification is, what the targets are, that they're, they're all driving towards.
1: And those targets are so important, aren't they? Because it's at this point, as you mentioned earlier, if you've not got your sustainable targets in at this point, it's very hard to retrospectively go back and change that, isn't it? Exactly.
2: Yeah, it's always always the same, isn't it? The shift left kind of idea, the earlier you get these things sorted in the life cycle, the cheaper it's going to be to correct. And, and you don't want to find that you've made a fundamental mistake in your system design when you get down to some of those later phases. So, yeah, absolutely.
1: Shift left has created a challenge for organisations because of how they traditionally cost things. And so the, the, the big expense normally would be further down the line, wouldn't it? Which actually, even as I'm saying it, makes no sense whatsoever. So why we ever thought that was a good idea, I don't really know. To get everything sorted out up front and make sure that you're hitting your targets and you're doing it before you're actually making anything tangible, surely is the way to do it.
2: It is. Absolutely. And in fact, it's maybe a bit subtle in the graphic, but, you know, those digital twin circles overlap for a reason. And I think that's exactly the sort of uh, thing that you're alluding to there, that in the past, you know, the engineering department did engineering, manufacturing did manufacturing, production did production. And uh, almost, I wouldn't say didn't care about each other, but, you know, we're focused on their job. But now I think there's a realization that there's got to be a bit more concurrent thinking in, in what you're doing, production manufacturing planning should be involved in in some of the uh, design phases because ultimately the product does have to be made and there may be an opportunity to influence the design based on manufacturability or serviceability and so on. So that's really what we are driving towards with these twins intersecting like that, that integration and that sort of overlap between the domains that might typically have been disconnected and sort of traditional over-the-wall thinking between engineering and manufacturing and trying to break that down because that is where you know some of the uh, the costs and some of the challenges are introduced
1: and this this brings in the real people side of this it's making sure that those early teams come together with everybody everybody for, for the complete life cycle needs yep. to be now as we know they don't have to be 100% involved all the way through the journey But we do have to have systems that allow them to make sure that the requirements are set, the goals are set, Mm -hmm. that the responsibility and accountability is understood by everybody and then a way of tracking progress as it goes through the different stages
2: absolutely and and everybody having their say from their perspective you know there's many different uh, organizations maybe with with different perspectives that should be considered in in that whole life cycle manufacturing planning down through production into you know when when the products in service and i think what's key from this comprehensive digital twin is the the blue arrows that are are going back so you know th- this is uh, and what really enables some of that um, IoT, um, Internet of Things type capability, so information coming back from the real product in service and uh, helping to influence the the changes or or the future versions of the the product based on on the real world utilization. Uh, of that product in service, you know, is it actually behaving as we expected it to behave? If not, why not? And uh, being able to sort of navigate some of those decisions that were made early on, and, and understand maybe we might have made assumptions that were were incorrect, and we want to adapt that for for future products
1: is a bit a big part of this. Is real impact analysis, isn't it? And with the <laughs> The new roles that are appearing in in lots of organisations coming from new sustainability teams, new digital teams. So moving away, even engineering is, is changing a lot, isn't it? Being an engineer when you had a drawing board versus being a digital engineer today is significantly different. And these these different roles and the the ownership and who drives these projects in this way now becomes much more important doesn't
2: it yeah yeah absolutely and 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 thinking about how the the end product is going to be used as well can can have a big effect on the way that that product is designed you know servitization business models outcome based models uh, that might mean that you you think about how you design your product quite differently compared to a traditional you know selling of a An asset of some sort we've we've been working with a a company lately and uh, they they want to have their products um, connected uh, to to the internet and dialing back to the uh, you know the head office and and they think that they can avoid call-outs they they do something like 300,000 call-outs a year and they believe that about 60% of those are not necessary.
1: Yeah.
2: So you know there's a, a cost saving to the company in terms of service engineers there's a uh, a CO2 angle, sustainability angle there. You don't have those vehicles on the road traveling to uh, to maintain a product which actually, as it turned out, didn't actually need a service engine the year in the first place. So you know, making these products smart and having them connected to uh, some diagnostics tools and, and giving the end user feedback, maybe via an app of, of some sort where they can uh, do some rudimentary uh, uh analysis and uh fixing themselves is uh pretty powerful really for the business in terms of its bottom line but also the uh the co2 type impact as well
1: and everyone wins um yeah. which is you know makes it makes these uh, conversations very compelling and i'm hoping that uh, for our listeners they really feel that as well that there are situations here that not only help the planet, which we desperately need to do, but actually they're really important to sustain our businesses going forward. As we move into change, we're already in a situation where every business has been struggling because of the pandemic, but every business was looking to change anyway. The, The world was changing. Our digital impact was already creating significant change and and all we're doing here is joining a few more dots together aren't we to say by using this system approach then we can look at so many of these different agendas in one go and Mm -hmm. move away from actually this team have got this this team have got that this team have got the other actually all those agendas the, the deliverables the things they want to do are always connected and we make it more difficult for ourselves by separating them
2: within an organisation. Yeah, and uh, and I think the pandemic has been quite interesting from that point of view, hasn't it? That it's forced people to maybe challenge some of those uh, thoughts that they had before, that they couldn't do certain things or or, or certain things weren't suitable for their their business. Um, And, you know, that they've had to confront some of that and maybe break down some of those preconceived ideas about how they develop their products or test it or, or whatever it may be. So... Yeah, that's um, maybe a, a slight silver lining out of the the pandemic that it's making business maybe accelerate some of that uh, digital thinking that uh, there may be of uh, being uh, uh, ignoring to some extent.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure there's any silver lining, really, is there? But it's, uh, it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely challenged us and challenged us in a way where we had no choice. Before, um, before all this happened, people still had a choice. And then we were put in a situation where we had no choice. And it's amazing what you change when you've got no choice.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and really, it amazes me that we've not got to that position with sustainability, the climate agenda, just looking, you know, as Greta keeps reminding us, our house is burning. It's an emergency, but we still seem to think we've got a choice.
2: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree.
1: <laughs> and, and now we've, we've got up a slide which talks through the Siemens Accelerator portfolio. And I know, Ross, you're keen not to turn this into a sales pitch, but we wanted to, to show our listeners that this is not new. We're not talking, we're not waiting for technology to catch up here. All this stuff already exists. It's just now that perhaps it's easier to connect these things so that we get this very important data backbone that needs to run through this.
2: Exactly, yes. And, you know, I think that, that was really the idea of this slide to show how many different domains can come together with with tools like the, the Siemens Accelerator portfolio covering many different domains. So on the left-hand side, mechanical, electrical, uh, and simulation um, underpinned by the team and uh, MindSphere platforms at the top that give us that, that thread, a backbone, a database backbone, you really don't have a thread. You've still got a collection of point solutions. And over over to the right-hand side, uh, the software and the apps that I mentioned, um, the, the product intelligence stuff, the connectivity back to the physical asset and understanding how it's performing, and uh, the manufacturing execution on, on the shop floor and, and uh, towards the bottom there, the, the manufacturing planning. So, you know, all of those key domains, design, simulation, software, electronics manufacturing planning and execution and uh, all, all of that really sort of coming together is what breaks down some of those silos and helps to deliver that sort of systems thinking that we don't focus on individual silos and, and just looking at it more specifically from a sort of sustainability angle you know thinking of some of the things that we can maybe apply new technologies that help in mechanical space with you know uh, lightweighting the additive manufacturing or composites uh, using composites in the product all of that can help deliver lighter stronger products you can even use additive for uh, repairing existing tooling and so on so maybe a, you know a, a, a forging die or something like that may have previously been scrapped we can use additive techniques to add material on then then remachine it so you know all of these things are good from a sustainability point of view eliminating and reducing waste as much as possible Um, some of the collaboration tools even that we've got with VR, so uh, many organizations now using virtual reality to have design reviews rather than having everybody in a room, get everybody into a a virtual environment and uh, have a a really thorough review of of the product design as it's evolving. Um, Electronics as well, you know, optimizing the uh, the efficiency of the electronic systems with the mentor suite. We'll come to another example in a moment about uh, simulations, so this is uh, also thinking about the systems and the specifications, making sure that the, the product and the, and the architecture that we agree for the product is, is optimal, we're using the right components and so on. But long before we get to any physical tests or any physical products at all, doing this all in the virtual environment is key factory planning as well so a lot of tools that allow us to assess the energy efficiency of the production facility down to the cell level and and up at the sort of plant level as well and uh, even on on individual machine tools making sure that we're not using too much energy in machining uh, processes and and optimizing that so uh, you know, there's a lot of different aspects that kind of come out from some of the core capabilities of the accelerator portfolio that had helped to uh, add on um, sort of benefits in, in efficiency and energy consumption and so on that would influence the life cycle, uh, the sustainability life cycle of the product.
1: And at any point, any um, sustainable target in terms of replacing. Um, resources natural resources that are being used that an organization now knows they've got to discontinue or wind down or impact analysis of maybe operating in a certain part of the world and you know disrupting soil or forestry or anything like that we could be talking anything here couldn't we because all we're saying is that this is a framework that allows you to really focus on what that problem statement is and then collaboratively work al- along that and figure out what your inputs are going to be and then what your outputs are as a result of that. That's really all we're saying here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And probably taking credit for for some of the stuff that the individual engineers and, and so on are are actually uh, doing, you know, for example, the, the CAM toolpath stuff, it, it maybe will not get reported up from the, uh, the machine shop that they've reduced the amount of energy that's being consumed by because they've optimized the, uh, the toolpaths and so on. But I think that's going to be something that organizations will want to do increasingly in the future is identify these areas where there has been that kind of saving and uh, report them up and uh, use that in there sustainability reports to the board and, and so on that will become increasingly important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really think that there is always so much hidden stuff and it and just the ability of people to come forward and say, actually I can quantify this in the right way or have the data that is necessary so that it can flow through to a report is the only thing that hinders them really. It's not yeah. that they weren't doing the action in the first place.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: So now we've got a couple of case studies here, which you have really nicely picked out ones that look at energy efficiency or sustainability in in a couple of different ways. So it'd Mm -hmm. be great if you talk us through these.
2: Yeah, so there they they produce um, uh, weaving looms and, and they've been using our, our products for many years. But in this case, they've been uh, using SimCenter, uh, AmiSim, which is used very early on in the design process to think about the various elements. You can see from that sort of middle graphic where it says co-simulate with uh, SimCenter and 3D motion. They've got uh, the, the red and uh, green and purple areas there, are sort of the system building blocks. And we've got a library of these blocks, blocks, uh, motors, valves, uh, pneumatic cylinders, and so on, that we have sort of representations of, mathematical models of, and we can connect them together to create a sort of virtual description of the system and, and see how it's going to perform so you know, the outcome for them was that they've actually ended up creating one of the most energy efficient looms available on the market by doing that upfront analysis using the simulation tools doing those trade offs that you mentioned earlier on and then um you know flowing that through into the sort of detailed design but on the basis that you have a good understanding of how your system's going to behave sometimes call it a behavioral model and uh you know really really getting a view on where they Energy consumption is going to be what it is and uh, looking at the different use cases and the cycles that the the loom is going to go through and then uh, simulating all all of that. So uh, an interesting example of very early on uh, optimization of the energy efficiency and to be able to deliver one of the the world's most efficient looms, I guess, is testament to the quality of that upfront simulation.
1: Fantastic. (laughs) The most energy efficient weaving loom. And not everyone can say that, can
2: they? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and then we've got another one about uh, energy optimization. And I guess it's no surprise that these are ready available case studies because energy optimization is one of the easiest, well, don't want to use that tip, but it's, it's an area that everybody is naturally focusing on. As if it is one that naturally will give cost savings when you look at trying to to um, take the waste out of what you're doing.
2: Yeah, and lots of benefits there. And you see, you know, reducing uh, the fuel used in that kiln by ten percent. So that is lots of impact doesn't it the uh, the bottom line in terms of the, the cost to the business but also the uh, co2 impact and, and so on and, and really just using a, a similar set of tools in in this example but uh, reducing the fuel consumption there uh, you know this is uh, using star CCM in this case uh, so looking at uh, Cfd computational fluid dynamics to analyze how that kiln is heating and how the burners are operating and looking at the efficiency of the internals of the uh, the heating system within that kiln Film and, uh, and maximising the, the, the heat output for the energy that's gone in. So um, many, many examples really, I suppose, just picked out a couple here that uh, can show the, the benefits of that upfront digital analysis and uh, optimising it in the, the 3D world uh, long before you've ever produced any sort of component.
1: And then I this, I think this is one of my favourites um, because it just shows you and i just love that line 500 evaluations in four hours
2: exactly yeah a great example uh, from from an aerospace example in this case but e- each one of those blue dots represents a simulation that was done in here where we're trading off the panel weight um and uh, various other characteristics of thickness of the the individual skins on the on the fuselage um, yeah, so as you say, Nina, uh, you know five hundred iterations, traditional techniques an engineer would not have been able to uh, run that many and certainly not in that amount of time. And they would have used their gut instinct, their they're the best guess at which one of those blue dots might give the right set of results. But uh, as you can see, there's quite a, a variety of, of results there. And, uh, you know, in this case, we've been able to reduce the, uh, the panel weight by 43 percent. So that's great. That, that product in itself is lighter. But if you think of the, the whole fuselage and all the components coming together, and uh, of course, if the whole fuselage is lighter than some of the other parts can be lighter. Maybe the, the engine doesn't need to be able to provide quite so much thrust to get the aircraft off the ground. Maybe the the landing gear can be uh, optimized in some way to reduce some weight because it doesn't have to bear so much load so the, you know the knock on effect of some of these things can be quite significant so in this case using heats to to do the uh, the, the optimization design of experiments optimization to find the optimal set of characteristics that's helped this individual uh, fuselage section but the uh, the bigger effect on the system we keep mentioning the system but the system itself uh, can be quite significant
1: yeah absolutely and then here we talk about something that I think actually when when we spoke about this last time and I said, oh, yeah, 3D printers were something that people built in the garage. And then you told me you had one in your office.
2: I do. That's, there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, you, you get addicted to 3D printing, maybe. But what we're showing here really is, is the end-to-end uh, offering uh, that, that we have with the, the Siemens portfolio. And, and what this is really showing is that you know 3D printing and additive manufacturing maybe is, is something that's relatively new. And I think a lot of the, the tools that have been used by um, our customers in the past have been disconnected. And although each of those disconnected tools has maybe done a good job at design for additive manufacturing or build simulation, what they were struggling with was the connectivity, the interoperability between all those different tools. So we're now doing this all in, in the Accelerator portfolio, NX and SimCenter, essentially both the same product flowing from left to right all the way through that additive life cycle, and, and bringing in some, some new techniques like um, uh, design validation. So, you know, looking at uh, spring back and residual stresses and distortion and so on within the additive part. Uh, but that's new areas, but also when you're falling back on some of our traditional areas like the uh, subtractive manufacturing cam to uh, remove some of the support structures and so on. But key thing really is doing this all in in one tool, as it says, the, the unified solution idea to part, the sort of left to right and uh, you know, Siemens, I mentioned Siemens as a manufacturer, we, we've uh, bought a company called Material Solutions in, in Worcester in the UK and their business is additive manufacturing. So um, they are uh, adopting th- this kind of left to right process as well uh, for their in-house production of the additive parts that they produce for many industries, uh, motorsport, aerospace and, uh, and so on.
1: And this this area of additive manufacturing is much more important when we're thinking about um build to order isn't it you know where where you have to be really targeted you have to know what you're going to do and you have the ability then to make something and say yeah that does the job or even actually allow for some machine learning to say, and and allow the machine to tell you, it doesn't need to look like this. It could look like this, which which adds another dynamic. It felt a bit sci-fi years ago when you're looking at this. I remember going to one demonstration where they gave us all something that looked, I don't even know what it looked like. I can't even describe it. But they said, that's a new bottle opener. And it's because they hadn't designed the bottle opener in the way we would design it they let the machine say, given the parameters you've given me, this is the most efficient way of having a bottle opener.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's what that generative engineering piece is about. And that's why you get some of those uh, crazy shapes that you might see there. You know, traditionally when I was on a drawing board, you wouldn't have dreamt of coming up with a design like that, mainly because you couldn't manufacture it. So now with additive, you know, there's a whole new world of uh, geometries that, that you can actually create and print. I mean, even to the extent that a a hole doesn't need to be round anymore. You know, in fact, it's easier in additive manufacturing if you don't produce round holes, if you produce more of a a gothic arch kind of shape because of the way that the uh, the product builds up. So it totally turns traditional sort of thinking around design on its head. Generative design will come up with new shapes. What you can actually make uh, itself is totally different. And uh, that example there, the multidisciplinary generative engineering piece, that that, uh, duct thing there is actually the duct inside the uh, HP printers. Um, So we've made, I think it's something like 30% more efficient in the cooling of the the, the build area within the Hewlett-Packard printing machines. But it's kind of interesting that we've used the tools and we're using 3D printers to produce that duct that goes into the 3D printers itself so that's kind of a, a, a real cyclic thing um, going on there but the, the key thing is really is breaking down some of those silos that we talked about before you got the the design and the engineering world gradually sort of transitioning into manufacturing planning and then sort of transitioning uh, transitioning into the sort of production phase as well all in that sort of joined up way which is really what we're, we're looking at and everything that we bring to market nowadays is, is what is the end-to-end journey like because we have that breadth of solution that we talked about earlier on with the accelerator portfolio.
1: And the world needs this, doesn't it? This, this new way of thinking. We can't have um, situations going forward where one team will say, Well, we don't do it that way. We've we've got no experience of doing it that way. We can't do it. We don't know this will work out. And they they shed so much doubt on a situation that it means that the decision makers start to worry and the whole thing ends up feeling quite negative. These situations have to be led by teams of people who are fully committed to doing Mm -hmm. something different for a future space, don't they?
2: Yeah. Uh, I think what the organisations have got to worry about is that you know if they don't embrace this kind of thinking, their competitors will. So you know it really is something we need to make sure that uh, UK manufacturing is uh, is embracing the, this kind of thinking. And uh, in in many cases, it is. So positive story about this this sort of end to end thinking of the digital twins and the digital threads. And this is a a great example with the additive story here.
1: Brilliant. And and here is just. Uh, For everybody listening, there's just a slide here that just wraps up the accelerator portfolio. But I think think more or less we've covered that. So very keen in this series of podcasts to uh, make sure that we're leaving some tangible actions for you all to be able to create your sustainable digital thread. So here we have a slide that has got three quite big actions on there. And we're just going to bring the podcast to an end with these actions. So number one is to understand how your organisation's environmental, social and governance strategy aligns with the digital strategy, or if you already started one, your digital thread that runs through the business. This is so important because of data the data that's generated through your digital thread needs to be relevant accurate and used everywhere it is such a barrier to change sometimes the fact that data is not can be relied on is in so many different places and um, and people don't trust it so making sure that this data business backbone is there so that you understand throughout the system how the data is going to be turned into information and decision making and reporting really i i think this is a major acceleration point what do you think ross
2: yeah i think so and it's interesting just looking at this just thinking about the the alignment that you mentioned between the the digital strategy digital thread and the esg and and almost, you know, ESG almost ought to be another strand within the digital thread, shouldn't it? And you shouldn't yeah. just be a line, but they ought to be woven together almost so that, uh, you know, everything that you do around your digital strategy and the threads and the twins and all the other digital things that we mentioned, you know, the, the environmental, social and governance stuff's got to be integral to to all of that you can't you can't really separate them anymore because if you're going to have good decision making and reporting and so on as we said at the start you've got to think about those specifications and KPIs and and so on uh, as early as you possibly can.
1: And as we've talked about all the way through this it is a system approach which means collaboration is critical to ensuring that waste in your internal processes are minimized looking at how your different teams work together is also critical it's like the data it's it's just as critical really because you need to make sure that your people are organized in a way that it is seamless for them to work collaboratively and then you have to challenge whether your digital thread or digital strategy is helping that collaboration or hindering it. And that's so important because your employees must be able to do what you ask them to do. And that sounds like a stupid statement, but in so many organisations, they can't. And that infrastructure that you give them to work within must enable that accelerated innovation and fail fast. When we're talking about sustainable design and lifecycle analysis, you're talking about a world of trade-offs. These are not simple things to approach and make decisions on. They take a lot of analysis and people go in, when everything is considered, this is the greater good (laughs) path that we can take here. It's really not easy, is it?
2: No, and you're right, and if if we're hindering people's day-to-day tasks, then they're not going to embrace this kind of thinking, are they? So we've got to make sure that whatever we provide to the the different individuals in the organization that we're improving their their, uh, work life and uh, the the way that they're using various different tools, or at least if there is a bit of a, a shift left, maybe we're putting a bit more emphasis in the upfront analysis. It might put more workload on one department, but we realize that there's a a bigger piece at play in, in the downstream benefits of that will be you know, a net gain to the organization. So clarity around what we're doing and why we're doing it is key. And if there is any hindering, uh, maybe, uh, then we, we understand why that is and, and what the benefit would be to the organization.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then I'll just move it up a little bit. Um, can the executive teams and shareholders follow the product development progress easy? Can the decision makers monitor costs and trade-offs? Can you contribute and sign off progress without holding several meetings? And, you know, this may have got easier in more recent times, but I imagine for most people, the sign-off process is still pretty laborious and we've got to make sure that this becomes value add and not just totally draining for everyone involved. And it goes back to what we were saying in point one really, the data and how the data flows through everything we've been talking about today is so important. And if you get that right, reporting from that data source should be automatic.
2: Exactly, and that's one of the things that we're we're pushing with the, the Team Center angle here. So a lot of these processes and uh, workflows and so on being managed by Team Center means exactly that. And you know that the the reporting and so on is automated, so we don't have people running about trying to generate Excel reports and spreadsheets and so on about where we're up to in a life cycle and and where we are against our various KPIs. It all just falls out of the system because we've been planning that right from the start. That system's thinking again. We know what we're going for. We know what the various steps involved are and we can track the progress against that whatever uh, discipline it is engineering or manufacturing or or production
1: and we know there's a lot more than three points uh, to create a sustainable digital thread but these three points if achieved actually will take you a huge way there so of course there's a lot more uh, involved in this and when you're on your own
0: Oh, no, I'm
1: going to say it, journey. Oh, I say I wasn't going to say it, but (laughs) when you're there doing your own thing, then you will come up with the personalizations that you need to run through this. But we're pretty sure that this will give you a great start. And if you want to continue these conversations um, with either Ross or myself, then you can contact Ross directly. If you're not looking at the slide set now, if you go to the slide that on the podcast notes, you'll see the details for Ross there and also the details of how you can talk to me or talk about anything that we've discussed in today's podcast and presentation. So we hope that's giving you food for thought and something to work on. We'd love for you to engage with us. So if you don't agree with us or you've got your own experiences, please let's hear them. And we're more than happy to connect and keep the conversation going. So thanks very much for joining me today, Ross. Um, Thanks very much, Nina.
2: Pleasure. Good to speak to you. And uh, yeah, if anybody's got any questions regarding uh, Siemens or any of the topics there, let me know.
1: Brilliant.
0: Thanks again to Nina's guests today and thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Change Troubleshooter. Nina invites you to carry on the conversation with her directly. All contact details can be found on her website, ninadar.com. Join us for the next episode in two weeks time. This has been a sun-soaked creative production.